Hello, and welcome to my podcast, John Scott Lawton's English You Know. In this episode, I interview Jane James, the founder of the Little Voices Franchise Network in the United Kingdom. Little Voices provides singing and drama or acting classes for children and young people from the ages of 4 to 18. Jane trained as an opera singer at the Royal Conservatoire of Scotland after gaining a degree at the University of Sheffield. She brought her love for the performing arts into her teaching career, establishing the Little Voices Franchise Network in 2007. We talk around the challenges of developing a franchise and of being the lead franchise uh, owner, helping others to develop their own business and supporting them and training them to ensure that the standard and the quality of the work, the training and teaching with children is equal across the whole of the United Kingdom. And also to think around Jane's uh, aspirations for international development later on. The podcast will be of interest to anyone who has an interest in the performing arts, particularly working with children, but also anyone who has developed or is thinking about starting their own business. And we give consideration to the fact that a franchise may well be a very productive and very efficient way of somebody starting their own enterprise. I hope you enjoy the podcast. And if you wish to make any comments whatsoever about the podcast series or to suggest a new title or to be in interviewed as a guest on my show, please do get in touch either through email at johnscottlawton at hotmail.co.uk or via the sound app on Anchor. Thank you very much indeed. So Jane, thank you very much for accepting my invitation to join the podcast. My listeners will be delighted with this because it combines a number of my favorite topics. Um, and I'm very interested in how you've developed your business. That's clearly one of the angles I want to look at and to find out about your career and also what you offer to children in a learning experience. So first of all, could you please introduce yourself to us, uh, my listeners, and say something about your early career in training? Absolutely. So thank you for having me, John. Um, I'm Jane James, now known as Jane James. I was Jane Maudsley. It took a while to get used to that name change. Um, and I am the CEO and founder of Little Voices, which trains uh, children 4 to 18 in drama and singing across the UK as part of a franchise network. Um, my early career and training um, is interesting. I've always loved to perform and sing. Um you know, on the stage, playing a part in the school performance, the nativity, playing Mary. It was something I was really passionate about. My mum got me fabulous singing lessons and that passion for music through an amazing teacher and, and several teachers after that really um, embedded my love of performing. So I went, um, I did my GCSEs, A-levels, um, and the natural route after the school I was at was to go to university and do a very um, traditional degree. Um, and I made that that choice to do a music degree and try and link link the two things together at the University of Sheffield. I can't say I really enjoyed that that degree too, too much. I loved the friendships, I loved university, uh, but there wasn't enough performing there for me. Um, I completed the degree, took a year out, did a, um, some marathon running and working for my dad's company, uh, raising money for charity. And then I went off to um, the Royal Conservatoire of Scotland, as it is now known, and did a master's degree in opera and concert singing. Mm. Um, so that's that, that was the start, really. So performance and music has always been central to you. Interestingly, we both went to Sheffield University. I hadn't picked that up. That's nice. Oh, interesting. Beautiful city. I love that city. Yeah. Um, and I'm going there in about an hour's time for tea with my daughter. So that's Oh, fun. lovely. Um, so opera then. Let's come to that because my mother was a, an amateur opera singer, but with a beautiful voice. Uh, it then sort of skipped my generation, uh, me, and went to my son. He's got a beautiful voice as well. Well, I do sing. It's mostly at football matches. Um, <laughs> tell me about that. How did opera sort of come into your life and what pieces that you performed did you really enjoy yes so it was uh, one of my early teachers before I went to university um, or college and she just introduced I'd always sung musical theatre that's what I had known the Phantom of the Opera, Les Miserables um, but she introduced me to 
to operatic style songs um, and I just fell in love with them so I guess I was lucky that my teacher just explored that with me um, you know you you really do enjoy the subjects when you've got a great teacher don't you so mm-hmm. um, for me that was really important and I looked at pieces from Carmen um, from oh, all sorts of pieces of opera and just fell in love with the style Dido and Aeneas um, Orpheus and Eurydice all of those sort of pieces of music really suited my voice and I, and I just I fell in love with it and I think once you've had your eyes open to something it's hard to to not see it there in, mm-hmm. in the ether yes many people shy away from which means they keep away from opera they think it's too formal it's too highbrow is another word too posh but actually the beautiful renditions the beautiful um, harmonies the beautiful performances that can be put on are very moving aren't they opera has this ability to touch the soul to touch the emotions and i don't know it happens with all forms of music but in opera if you can get over your initial kind of reluctance it can be a really beautiful um part of uh, the arts to engage in i absolutely think so and i think that you can you've got an opportunity to just sit listen or watch and just feel how that music makes you you know how it resonates with you mm-hmm. um, because it, it's often quite a simplistic story to follow through an mm-hmm. opera mm-hmm. Um, and the drama brings it alive, but the music brings it to life. So mm-hmm. um, I, I do think it's, it's something interesting to look into if you haven't done so far. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm going to explore that. I think in a later program as well. <laughs> um, you've mentioned already the fact that a good teacher is somebody who stays with you for life. You remember them and you come back to them and you think, oh, that was the person who inspired me too, etc. For me, it was a history teacher who loved football and the agreement was he would talk, we could talk about football for 20 minutes in a lesson and then we do 40 minutes of history. Yes. So that was, you know, for me, quite a gentle approach into history and I got into social and economic history and loved it ever since. So interesting how teachers are key in our future development. Absolutely so, critical. Yeah. Let's make that bridge then. What then led you from doing your master's degree, opera, studying that, working for your dad's firm, then into teaching and working with children? How did that sort of come about? Yeah, it was strange. I think when you go to music conservatoire or drama school, um, you're in a, a bubble, you're in a cocoon, and everybody's aiming for the stage. It's why you've gone, generally. Um and you've not really got a breadth of, of knowledge or um, information about the alternatives that you could go into with that training and that passion. Everything is sort of geared. It was for me, that might just be a very personal thing, but I've spoken to a lot of singers like me, even now from conservatoires, you know, more recently. And it's all about, you know, being a professional opera singer or being a professional artist. <laughs> and um, I very quickly realized when I left Um, I did completed the master's and and left um, college that actually the life of a singer and all that that involved wasn't for me Um, so what I mean by that you know the practicing every day quite lonely quite isolating on your own you've got to be quite a technician highly detailed again not really me Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not saying that I'm not detailed but you know on on that regular day-to-day basis the, the the bread and butter of your earnings and how that what that career is going to bring you the audition success no success the mm-hmm. emotional roller coaster money no money trying to find other jobs that sort of fit in um to allow you to follow your dream and your passion it, it wasn't working for me at all and yeah. I quickly realized that and and as a way of making um a, a living I started teaching because you'd done some teaching modules at college um I'd obviously had great teachers who I think can teach us great teaching skills and um, I started teaching singing performing arts music drama um from home from um different local music schools local schools as a peripatetic teacher classroom teaching and it all just sort of evolved and and I was finding myself doing more teaching than I was performing mm-hmm. but it wasn't um it was complimenting the performing at that time but I was actually and if I was honest with myself enjoying the teaching much more um I, I really did enjoy the teaching and and the children taught me so much about myself as well, my own voice. Um, so that's, it, it just, it didn't happen. I'm going to be a teacher. It wasn't that kind of decision. Mm-hmm. It was, it, it evolved over time. Okay. Very good. 
and certainly you you learn a lot when you're teaching others don't you it's one of those things that a good teacher recognizes straight away one they've got a lot to learn from the people they're working with mm-hmm. um, and equally a lot to learn about themselves and their approaches and what works and what doesn't Absolutely. just come back to that point about rejection for opera singers going to auditions a bit like actors how do you cope with that psychologically it must be very difficult when you've done your best you've given a really good performance and as we'll touch on later, I used to say to students doing an examination, just do your best. Mm-hmm. But if you do your best and you fail or you don't get the part, how do you cope with that emotionally? It's very hard. You know, I think we talk a lot about mental health um, today. It wasn't talked about then. I'm 44 now. You know, we're talking when I was 22, 23. It wasn't something that you considered. Um, rejection, failure. Uh, not good enough you know that takes its toll and it, it and it's not a nice feeling to have now I quickly repositioned that I'm a very positive person I'm you know I like to see my glasses half full rather than half empty and, and I dealt with it but I would imagine that it's not easily dealable for for everyone and, and it is something to be aware of going into a career like that that it's it is very much a roller coaster you know uh-huh. life's a roller coaster but that's a really fast one yeah. um with some tough um learning you know learning curves to go on so i i dealt with it okay um i don't hold any you know d- detrimental um things that have gone wrong since but um yeah it's it's something definitely to consider and when i talk to children now or young people or through the whole of my teaching career and and through little voices I really make them aware of the reality of, of the career, the mm-hmm. reality of what they're going into. And that actually you can just because you love music and performing and the arts, there are so many careers that you can go into and, and transfer those skills and passion into. It doesn't just have to be the end result of being on the stage. Yeah. Because as you say, just to explain that metaphor we've used there of the roller coaster, ups and downs, you know, highs and lows, yes. literally that there will be peaks when you're superb and you get the part and you're really happy. Mm. But then the very next day you could go for another part and actually fail to get that part. And you've got to be able to cope with that unevenness, if you like. Absolutely. And and mm. also, you know, sometimes it's not voice led or your performance, it's your face just doesn't fit. You know, if you do a piece of writing or you put together a presentation to pitch for a particular job, you know, that it's either the right information on the page or it's not. But sometimes for these things, it's very, you know, it's whether your face fits, do you look the part? Are you going Mm -hmm. to fit what they're casting? And so, you know, the the chances of success are are very slim. Mm -hmm. And luck must play a part in that yeah and who you know as yes. well. yeah. and <laughs> yeah, where your connections that, are that one gets a bit more difficult but yes it's uh, yeah. very true so let's come to little voices how did uh, or when did the idea for little voices come about and what inspired you first of all for the name little voices and then maybe that came later but the idea of setting yourself up on your own developing the teaching career and then developing a, a business out of it yeah, it's it's um, strange. So I'd had, um, I got married, um, was pregnant with my first child. Um, sadly, my husband left, but um, that's a whole other chapter. Um, and I had to make ends meet immediately. You know, I was back at work very quickly teaching. And it was within those very early months. So she, my daughter was only a few weeks old. I was sat with a friend, um, an ex-teacher of mine who was a few years older than me, but had been a teacher of mine at school. She was head of drama. I was doing all of this singing, teaching work. And we were sat in a coffee shop and she said, Jane, you've got all the skills to set a business up because you've worked in your father's business and you've obviously running your own self-employment uh, work with, with teaching we should do something, let's create something. And it was literally created around a coffee shop table with a friend. Um, And I said, well, when are you thinking this is going to start? And she said, well, next month, this was August. She said, next month, September. (laughs) And I said, well, I have a young baby, I'm feeding her. You know, I've got, well, what nights are you free? I said, the only time I've got is six o'clock till 7.30 on a Tuesday evening. And she said, right, great, that's when we'll do it. We'll start 18th of September, let's do it. And, and honestly, the rest was I've sort of almost, I can't take any of the glory for coming up with the, you know, the initial let's do this because that definitely came from her. Mm-hmm. And um, 
you know a couple of days in we were talking every day and and the, the name got banded about and we, we we settled on little voices um and we literally opened the doors with you know we advertised it to a few children in one school 12 to 16 children came on that opening night and the rest as they say is history really mm-hmm. so it really doesn't matter how small if you like the start is you just got to start just start it doesn't have to be perfection or perfectly carved or you know that's everything I've done over the last 15 years has been about creating developing improving perfecting but that's it's never perfected you you know you're always on that journey so just get started so we had two groups um my uh, business partner at the time would teach the drama I would teach the singing the children would alternate and then see the alternative teacher her and I the following week and they were in a really small group that was really important to us so you know you had to have very small groups so that children could have really individual tuition mm-hmm. uh, but also have that sense of working as part of a team so um it was about standards quality excellence individual attention and we just got started mm-hmm. just need a bit more detail now tell me some of the kind of um, courses that you might not call them courses but some of the kind of skills techniques um, you teach children the kind of activities that you do with them to promote drama and singing. Yes. Well, one of the one of the things that was very important to both of us at that time was that each individual child um, felt happy, was happy, felt safe, not health and safety safe, but mm-hmm. safe within the room and the environment and the group that they were in. And they were starting to make friendships because if a child is happy, then they will flourish and their confidence will grow. And then we can start looking at the skills and Mm -hmm. and the techniques around drama and singing. So, you know, the camaraderie and the group work with, you know, the group that a child is in was the most important thing. And that remains today. It's carried on across the entire 15 years that, you know, each child is an individual and they have to be in a group where they feel happy, safe, and they can make friendships and it's right for their ability. And then we have a real structure to the lessons. So, you know, the first five minutes is all about, you know, we're all about the voice. So whether you're using the voice to sing or whether you're using the voice to speak, um, how you communicate with your voice is what's important. So the first five minutes is talking to each other, introducing each other, what's happened in the week, what's gone well, what's been, you know, and that as the years have gone on has, has developed, because obviously it's about how are you feeling, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's it's that whole um mental health side of things as well we then go into a physical warm-up vocal warm-ups you know we're really hot on looking after the voice so warming the voice up well um and then and we use a lot of games loads of games for children to have fun and and express themselves and get to know each other and feel comfortable to be you know creatively using their imagination so lots of dramatic games and then we go into a, a a script or a piece of music or um, a, a piece of prose and um, we look at you know obviously learn that over a period of time and, and perfect it up to performance standard etc and then the final five five minutes of every lesson is always about reflection mm-hmm. so what went well and what little voices tip can we have for each other so we might do that collectively the teacher might lead that or each child might constructively feedback to another child in a very kind safe space about what they thought they did well and and what they think they could improve so that each child leaves the the classroom feeling elated and knows what they've got to work on Mm -hmm. and it's very open and it's very the self-reflection there is very important as you say at the end of the lesson but seems to be a common thread is you're promoting self-expression absolutely self-expression self-confidence self-belief um the opportunity to explore um what's wonderful as i'm talking to the converted here john in yourself but um you know, what's wonderful is that for a child who comes into a class who may be underconfident, slightly shy, struggling socially, um, they don't actually have to reveal themselves so much in that dramatic space or that mm-hmm. safe creative space because they're they're accessing a, a world and talking about emotions and exploring through a character. Mm-hmm. Um, and that and it's wonderful to see how so seamlessly and without even noticing a child can really come out of themselves over a period of time by by approaching it in that way. 
Mm-hmm. And would you say parents of children who may be less confident are more likely to come to you or do you get children who are already confident wanting to join a drama or a theatre or a singing group? Do you get a, a big mix? It's a big mix, both, um, because obviously, um, as you know, we work specifically towards um, an examination board syllabus um, and a, a set curriculum within that. So we do get children who are really confident, aiming for the stage, want to go to drama school, and they want all of their examinations to tick those boxes and and to have that sense of achievement. Um, but equally, we have a lot of children that come whose parents just want to try a different activity, another way of accessing, you know, finding something that their children love to do. And it's not about, you know, being wanting to be on the stage or or go into the profession, but it is a very much a balance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you have a very good health, the gender mix, boys and girls, not just girls are taking part in this. Yeah. I mean, obviously it, it is more female heavy. I have to say more girls um but we do attract a lot of boys and I think that's because we don't do dance so they don't have to wear dance shoes dance pants you know um be in a a ballet or a modern or a tap class as part of our structure it is about the voice themselves so I think you know we get an awful lot of boys coming between the ages of four and seven um and I, fewer boys stay with us all the way through because I don't know whether it becomes, I was talking to my daughter about it, who's 15 at the moment. She said, I don't know whether it becomes a bit less cool yeah. to say that they're going to Little Voices. But I hope that in time we can we can overcome that because it, it, it is about presentation skills and setting them up to do fabulous auditions or interviews or job interviews or best man speeches. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's very inclusive for, for all genders. Yeah. And again, we'll come back to that thread of confidence building that every one of those activities or, yes, presentation types that you just mentioned, interview, giving a speech, um, working, working with colleagues, making a presentation at work, all of those things require good self-confidence in order to get your message across, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's look at your early days then. And when you started off, people often say it's the most difficult time for a new business. Uh, many businesses fail, I think, it's up to 10, 15%, maybe 20% in the first year, 30 to 40% in the second year. But here you are 15 years in, you're obviously doing something right. But can you cast your mind back to those early days? Were there, were there risks? Were there difficult things? Were there downs, if you like, or low points where you thought, I really can't keep this going? Absolutely. I mean, Absolutely. You know, I don't think I'd be human or a, a normal business owner without without those feelings. Um, the risks, they were always calculated risks. Um, and what I mean by that was, well, if this happens, then this this could happen. There could be a backup plan. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a risk. I, w- I was a, a single mum, a sole parent, you know, a huge mortgage and just reliant on me and taking a you know stepping away from all the jobs that were giving me a, a, a sound regular safe income every month to 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 risk working in the business and the business you know coping with me alone so it yeah it was a risk um financially in that sense and there were you know huge challenges always challenges everything that you come across is, is something new and and how do I overcome that um but the core belief, the core passion, the belief that what we did made a difference and had an impact and that there was a um, that this was needed, mm-hmm. I think that always kept me going. The love of Little Voices, the love of what we did, being in a class with children, seeing them flourish, hearing how parents felt about it and how they did, always kept, kept me going. So everything was always overcome, if, mm-hmm. that, if that makes sense. Um, and as your journey goes on, we've had all sorts of things. I mean, everybody had the impact of COVID. No one was untouched by that in no. any um, way, shape or form. Um, that was a hugely, I, I mean, the business could have gone under overnight. And that was the biggest reality check for me and, and was a very, very difficult time. 
Mm-hmm. Yes, we'll come to that later. I have a particular um, question about the the way in which your learning was assessed at that time had to change because we couldn't do these face-to-face um, examinations that we'd previously done. Mm-hmm. Um, but then one of the big challenges for a self-employed person or somebody with a small business, growing that, scaling that up is often a challenge. But you hit upon the idea of the franchise model. So what attracted you to franchise? And first of all, for our listeners, could you explain how your franchise model works within Little Voices? Yeah, so um, a franchise model is just a structure um, to a business. And as you say, is, is the way that we have decided to scale. I didn't know about franchising before I did this with Little Voices. It wasn't something that I set off and thought we're going to be a franchise organization. It, it didn't enter my mind. Um, I did know of McDonald's being a franchise and KFC being a franchise. And, you know, fa- I thought fast food, really. I didn't really understand how that would um, transfer into our sort of activity. So franchising, I sort of stumbled across it. Then I sort of knew a bit about it. My uncle had been a franchisee of a, of a big network. So I, I, you know, I did a bit of research and it, and it was a way, what I found is that I wanted to work as part of um, an organization, a network of people who were like-minded to me, equally as passionate, equally as, if not more so talented in, in, in teaching, um, passionate about children and young people, wanted to see them flourish. And I wanted to that, that to be a, a very supportive network um, to, to work in. And I wanted to reach as many children as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, across the UK with franchising yes we could go global and I'm, I'm very interested in that long term but you know at this point in time it was it was all about the UK mm-hmm. UK spread and um, and how could I do that and the best way to do that was to to run as a franchise so within our model someone um, has to go through quite a, a rigorous recruitment process although it doesn't feel that way to the person but from our side of things, there's, there's a lot of hoops to jump through to make sure that someone's right for us. Mm-hmm. It's equally about them being as right for us and right for me as it is me being the right business for them to take on. Um, they are buying a franchise model, but they have to be approved and be the right person and right fit. Otherwise, it, it just doesn't work because mm-hmm. franchising is about relationships. Yeah. So they buy a franchise territory, in effect. So that's a um, their own set of postcodes and county councils borough councils within the uk and that is exclusively their territory for them to uh, market and set up centers for little voices and run with our systems with our support with our training know-how with all of our um training programs and materials and marketing and brand and literally me on speed dial as your mentor uh, to grow a successful business working with children in the arts uh, mm. our way and that's how that's how the franchise model works mm-hmm. and how do people find out about you how would somebody come across uh, the franchise opportunity that's really interesting i mean often you know because i didn't know about franchising all those years ago um, it's unlikely it's not something that that's publicized all that much uh, you know in universities and colleges as a route to you know go and buy a franchise um so often people do stumble across it perhaps when they're googling for how to work with children or you know uh, jobs to do when you no longer want to teach in the classroom so lots of ex-teachers or teachers looking to exit the classroom um maybe googling or sending their own children to an activity like this and just thinking oh I wonder how you go about you know setting up something on your own or how to you know just looking for an article on how to run your own business because you are as a franchisee a franchise partner of little voices you are your you're running your own business so you you know it is the bank accounts yours your pupils come to your business you're captain of your own ship you make all the decisions it's just that you do that within a very supportive network mm-hmm. a lot is said about brand at the moment isn't it and you said that you provide a lot of marketing support um is there flexibility for franchise owners to develop the brand or can they tweak the brand or are you quite insistent that they follow your model follow your pattern of delivery yes so um in terms of the branding of the entire company colors fonts logos 
marketing materials, weights of paper, the, the items that we use, that is all heavily branded. And it's why you would choose a franchise brand. So you wouldn't purchase a franchise that you don't love every element of, you know, and, and love the colors of, because there is no way that we allow a, a franchisee to, to create a post on Facebook or a flyer that's purple. You know, our colors are all red, gray, white. So, you know, there's a lot of that brand that's very, very intrinsic and, and part of, of the brand. And it's your brand in your area. And you should be as, you know, a big as ambassador of it as a defender of it as well. Mm-hmm. In terms of material within the classroom, within the teaching, um, that's not prescriptively brand led. That is very much making sure that the quality of the of the franchisee, the teacher and their teachers um are the right mix for little voices because they very much tailor lessons to the children that are coming through the door so you know you don't go to every lesson across the UK tonight and see the same themed lesson across little voices they're not following a script that it has to be this way and it's this theme this week Um, because every child's an individual every group is an individual and the teachers and franchisees that we work with are really creative talented individuals that are well equipped to inspire children and choose the right scripts and materials for them. Obviously, we've got a huge bank of a whole drive full of collateral for people to choose from and use. But we also have loads of franchisees that write their own material and and develop. And and that development, you know, is something that we all share together. So how do you promote the advantages of a franchise to a potential franchisee? So let's say I had some money to invest and I I loved the arts and I loved working with children and I wanted to do this. Um, What is it that you think is the decided pitch that you put that attracts people in and they say, okay, this this does feel right for me? What do you offer them from the centre, from the hub? Number one is support because it's very lonely running a business on your own. I know Mm -hmm. I've done it. Um, when you are surrounded by support, you are more likely to reach your outcomes and goals. You know, it's a fact. Eight, nine in 10 new businesses um, will fail. Mm-hmm. One in 10 franchise businesses will fail. Mm. And the, the research that's been done around that is generally because it is a very supportive system to follow. It's a tried, tested, proven business model and you're supported to be successful. So if you then get the right, if it's the right match, if it's the right partnership between myself and, and, the, and the new franchise partner coming in and they've got the right attitude, the right mindset, the right drive, the understanding that this is not, it's still your own business. It's really hard work. I would never mince my words with somebody. Mm -hmm. You are running a business, but you're not on your own. So if you've got that right attitude, that drive, that will, that passion, you will be successful. Mm -hmm. Um, It's absolutely, I can put the best franchisee in geographically what some would term the worst area, most demographically challenged area, and they will be successful. Whereas I can put an underperforming franchisee in what is some for some people's, you know, a fabulous green field of a, of a franchise area and, and they'll still fail because it comes down to the person. Mm-hmm. So they have to have that energy, enthusiasm, as you say, motivation the Mindset, drive attitude, um, to achieve attitude, so yeah absolutely entrepreneurship is still a, an essential skill you would say for a franchise owner absolutely entrepreneurship and mm-hmm. you know we've developed over the years because you know you were talking about does the franchise owner help develop the brand all of my franchisees have developed this brand in their own way they bring those ideas centrally we we have an advisory council um which is a volunteered role from some of our franchise owners and we go through the ideas that are, are, are put together and, and the ideas for, for growth and development and, and we implement you know we, we make change based on trends and based on people's ideas and and that was what I always wanted that we had this supportive network that cared and fundamentally children are at the heart of what we do so mm-hmm. you know we've all got that end goal yeah
let's come back to the children and, and talk really a bit more about how children respond to the little voices approach and what do they gain? What would you say are the, the key things that children take away from each session and then over the longer term, how do they change? Um, friendship is a huge one. They, they make friends with children from lots of different schools. It's a, a space outside of school that is a safe one for them. Uh, I mean, I'm going to use an example because it, it's something I know. But, you know, my daughter, as I said, going to Little Voices, she came when she was four years old. She's now 15. She's doing a GCSEs. It's very stressful at school. The pressure's on. But she still wants the 45 minutes of a Little Voices lesson every Thursday evening. She won't let that go, even mm -hmm. though I know she's stretched to her max. And that's because she's got great friends. It's her time out. It's her headspace. It's her chance to be herself. Um it's not within the boundaries of, of school, the one that she goes to, although we do run a lot of programs within the school day for some schools. Um, but for her, that's a really important um, part of her Little Voices journey. It's, it's an, you know, it's a physical activity. We do warm-ups, physical warm-ups. It's a mental health, a, a positive mental health part of, of the week. You know, that time to share, that time to talk, that time to express yourself music singing you know it's it that's huge mm -hmm. um so there's there's lots of lots of long-term benefits to attending um obviously performance opportunities um overcoming anxiety nerves mm -hmm. understanding that you know today i think we've got a situation where we're talking lots about mental health and and that's a fabulous thing but we're not actually talking about resilience and how to build resilience and how you know you might suffer with anxiety and I'm not you know I, I've had anxiety myself I understand a serious level of anxiety but sometimes a few nerves that someone could interpret as anxiety actually can be a good positive thing mm -hmm. so you know within the exam um, situation that we go through with all of our children uh, with the exam board they will, their bodies will feel a bit different. They'll experience different feelings and emotions and thoughts. And it's, and it's how they um, positively sort of position those and overcome those and build resilience and actually know that that's an okay feeling in yeah. this situation. So I think there's so many, yeah. so many lifelong benefits there. And those qualifications are where we first met. So uh, I was head of awarding yeah. body at Lambda. We'll, we'll reference Lambda specifically, the London Academy of Music and Dramatic Arts. And you've chosen to use their syllabus, their qualifications to accredit, to sort of validate the learning that goes on. One could argue that not that philosophically it needs that external validation, but it's another added value, isn't it, to, to what you offer? Because the learning is obvious when you see and hear the children. But to have that kind of recognition, why do you think it is an important part of, of what the Little Voices offer is that you have this uh, these regulated qualifications you can point to? Um, for me, I think it, it's twofold. Number one, those qualifications for some children may be the only qualification that they ever truly highly achieve in or or feel fabulous about. Um, and and they and they get some some gate that there's lots of lots to be gained from that so if they drop you know say they're going on to university and the university wants a certain number of grades but they happen to drop the a b to a c and um, the the exams with lambda that we offer you know can at certain grade levels can impact positively that entrance into university so for an activity that the child and the parent is committed to for all of those years they've got some real tangible benefit at the end that could really help um that sense of a job well done that sense of someone externally coming in and um and assessing and approving accrediting the work um and that sense that real sense of achievement i mean we have achievement don't we one of the biggest life skills that we put all of our children through is swimming lessons mm -hmm. so we, we want them to be able to swim from you know if they fell into a river or god forbid a life saving situation that they could that they could swim and I really feel that our children need a communication ability as well which is actually often lost in school 
Um, there isn't time to spend with the children in a big class and with the, the pressures of the normal curriculum. And actually, this is a, a skill set, a certificate that says, yeah, I've done my five meters. I've done my 10 meters. I've done my 25 meters. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and it really positively affects, you know, their, their life and, and job and career long term. And can you influence the Lander syllabus? I mean, it's obviously approved by an external regulator um, as an awarding body. So can you change it? Can you suggest that there should be wider topics or different um, source material used or different reference materials? Do you mean with Lambda directly themselves? Hmm, Possibly, or or any awarding body that you might be working with. Yeah, so we've worked with Lambda for 15 years, as as you've said, and um, I wouldn't change an exam board. Um, I have a very good relationship as one of their major partners, and I'm, I'm lucky to be listened to. So, you know, ideas and thoughts and things that we found find through the thousands of, of exams that we do every year, um, it does get fed back on quite a personal basis. And then, you know, more into their strategy, we work closely together. Um, and I do feel that, you know, we are really listened to. So there are sometimes fundamental things that need to be tweaked or changed. Um, and certainly I do feel that we can have an influence in that. Mm-hmm. um because we're, we're trusted partners and that became very important didn't it with the as you've referenced before the coronavirus lockdowns the fact you couldn't take children or send children for a face-to-face examination and those assessments had to move online so how did you face that challenge generally within the business and then the practical reality of online assessments how did that go yeah i mean wow um it was, I'm not going to mince any words again, but it was a very difficult time. Um, we already had the technology built within our business that we were going to launch the following year for online virtual classrooms so that children could access their scripts, materials, and connect with their friends, etc., in an online space. And what happened, and it was all powered by Google. So when I saw what was happening um over in China and how I thought hang on a minute the hands washing thing started over here things are starting to and that's sort of two weeks before we went into lockdown I just went hell for leather to pivot the business online before I think the majority of industries had even thought that this lockdown was going to come to the UK and and it was going to hit hard Mm -hmm. and then certainly in that final week as they were closing um industries down and I knew the Friday would be the schools um I thought we're not going to have a business next Monday unless we're ready to go with this. So we we set up all the virtual classrooms. I worked day and night. I didn't sleep. I hardly ate. I'm not a techie person, John. But I by the Friday when they announced the schools were closing, all of our parents already had emails, links, log on, see you at five o'clock next week at your normal lesson time. Children will be there. This was before anyone had started doing the Zoom. Mm. you know so I was really fortunate to have that uh brainwave shall we call it mm-hmm. um and it was the foresight yeah. foresight yes um but unfortunately that I actually became really very poorly because while whilst I was doing that I was recovering from a, an emergency operation that I'd had a few weeks earlier so I wasn't actually fit for work if truth be told and had a raging blood infection that um it went really badly wrong and I ended up in hospital that weekend so the way I'd approached work the way I'd pivoted the business and and the foresight was amazing and the business survived and we all pivoted but me personally was a very very poorly lady Mm. and so I wasn't around uh, in the first few weeks and months as um, everyone else was sort of gathering steam and 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 pivoting and and putting the um, online assessments for Lambda online but a lot of our franchisees did use the online assessments and obviously we'd be as a network they'd been very proficient in bringing the children through an online platform um, with our virtual classrooms so they they handled it really well I didn't have one complaint I didn't have we didn't have one struggle with that that I was aware of but bearing in mind I was out of the business for a period of time Mm. Um, but, but but you know teamwork makes the dream work doesn't it and mm-hmm. and everybody pulled together and although there was a lot of negative surrounding covid there was huge positives for business 
Um, and for those that, you know, luckily survived like us, we've learned a lot of lessons. Yeah. And it's that remarkable switch that you made. You've referred to it as pivot. Um, you know, that change in approach, change in method very quick from doing face-to-face to doing online. You know, you clearly did that very well and very quickly. And I'm sorry to hear you were ill, but um, similarly with me, I started my business during COVID right. and uh, because it's predominantly online, it actually works as an advantage for me. So you've just got to turn these things into opportunities, haven't you? You absolutely do. Every problem has a solution and you can find that opportunity. I'm a great believer in that. Mm-hmm. So let's look to the future now, Jane. What's next for the Little Voices Network? You dropped in earlier international approaches and I know you're doing some of that already. So where do you think your growth comes next and what do you want to happen across the network? Yeah, so um, this next 12 months, we always have a short-term and long-term plan, obviously. The next 12 months, um, 2023, I know we've got a lot of negativity and and, and cost-of-living crisis in the UK at the moment. Um, I'm someone who doesn't listen to the news, John, I have to say too much. It's not the, the, the right mindset for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but So we're, we're very positive. I think that COVID taught us and, and taught a lot of parents and schools that actually children's activities are really needed for children's social, mental, emotional, physical health. So I really feel that parents, and, and they already are doing, are sticking with us. You know, it's the last thing to go if they're really looking at budgets. Um, more schools are bringing us in because whilst they've had catch-up funding and and different things to help with maths and English, the the problems from the pandemic are going to be long-lasting for Mm -hmm. a few generations. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so social, mental health, um, just those basic social skills of children being in classrooms together and making friendships, you know, all of these things need addressing within schools. So that the future is quite bright for this next 12 months. Um, we've got some research that we're going to be doing um, on the positive outcomes of attending an activity like Little Voices. Um, we've got a whole tutor development program for our tutors that work within the franchises and accreditation program bringing out for those tutors. Um, so there's lots of positive things on the horizon. Um, and we will probably take on between six and 10 maybe 12 franchisees this year um, in different areas of the country. So we've got some resale opportunities in some areas of the country and, and then new franchises elsewhere. So that's sort of the short term. Mm-hmm. And long term, like you said, um, looking at global markets, um, I've built the UK network very very much with me developing each stage of it, not with a consultant or someone else's benefit of hindsight. Um I absolutely won't be going into global network, uh, you know, global uh, markets without the help of a consultant and um, ad- advisory people for that um, to, to maintain the brand, to maintain the standards and to make sure we get it right. Mm-hmm. So we do have some interest in, in different areas of the world, Australia, New Zealand, the US. Um, and Switzerland, and we're looking at a way of, of how that partnership master franchise offering may look. Um, and it's something that I'm very open to, but also with, with caution. Mm-hmm. So it's guarded and a sort of measured approach, a sort of careful strategy. Absolutely, because we've worked really, you know, really hard. We've got a beautiful brand. We've got fabulous results. We're impacting children. It, it's a pleasure. Um, and I would want that to be the same in whatever country we were in. Um, but the challenges of, you know, travel to another country and, and my ability to mentor someone in Australia when time zones are different and all of those things need to be factored in. Yeah. So, so I'm cautious, um, but optimistic and open. And you've been very positive as you are as a person, and that's been recognized externally. You've won awards for your work. How did you feel about that, that recognition that you got along the way? Oh, wow. Well, my wall behind me, you can't see, you know, obviously this is a, a podcast, so you can't see my my home office, but the, the walls are full of awards and they're very humbling, um, especially in the last 12 months where we've had anonymous um recommendations for me to be put forward for awards by parents by fellow business people um 
yeah, that's really quite humbling and recognises the work that we've done. Uh, I would say that the um, the biggest accolade was the British Franchising Award that we won in November last year. That was a franchisee that won that award. And to see one of my franchisees up on the stage, talking, breathing, living little voices with the same passion and energy and love and care that I do was the pinnacle so far of being a franchisor. Um, and I'd love more of that for my franchisees to gain that recognition for them as well. And that echoes what's being said now about leadership, isn't it? That leadership isn't just about being the one that goes in front and is an innovator and supports people, but actually encourages others not just to follow them, but to become future leaders. And clearly that's what you've been doing by growing this franchise network. Yeah, and I think, do you know what? That's that's absolutely the case. And it's it's been the case from the moment that I opened the classes and I taught as the singing teacher in those classes. I wanted that that development to come organically from within and to empower those children in that room and give them the best skills that they could have for life um that's been testament to the fact that some of those children went on to become assistant teachers with us then they became teachers some of them are now in london teaching for other franchisees and then i've had pupils become franchisees so mm-hmm. you know that organic internal growth um is really important to me and and honestly it's really never about me the awards are lovely but it's about the impact it has for everyone else and and really I love it for them Mm -hmm. Jane that's been a remarkable uh, tour I think I hope we've done little voices I'm sure you have but I hope the podcast can do little voices justice if I could wrap some text around that to introduce um, you and the topic um, through the podcast description. I'll do that uh, and put links in, of course, yes. uh, to your website and to your to make contact with you. Um, can I thank you very much? Um, we've covered a lot of ground around businesses, franchises, but also children, the benefits that they gain when Little Voices experience. So thank you very much indeed for that. Oh, it was a lovely experience. Thank you, John. So easy to talk to you and uh, and share that journey. Thank you so much. It was excellent. No, thank you. Speak to you soon. Take care now. Bye. Hi, John. Uh, It's Asif here. Hope you're well. Very much enjoying your various podcasts and uh, the sharing of your experiences, uh, not just on your website and your social platforms, but also through your uh, midweek virtual dinner parties, which I would thoroughly recommend to anyone who wants to practice English uh, or to learn to communicate with different um, variations of English language users. So anyhow, keep up the good work and uh, hope to catch up with you soon, my friend. Speak soon. Bye.